This is the Saxo Market Call, the daily financial markets podcast across asset classes and around the world. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It is Friday, 3rd of February 2023, an absolute explosion in markets yesterday prompted by Meta Results, the close on the day before, a massive advance there. I think it was something like 25%. You're going to enlighten us on that shortly, Peter. But adding to the mix very significantly was um, or were a pair of central bank meetings, the ECB and the Bank um, Bank of England waxing dovish and uh, uh, shocking UK and uh, European rates lower uh, with the uh, clear intentions to work towards a pause in their rate tightening regime. The Bank of England looks like it may be done already now after this 50 basis points yesterday, clearly looking for an excuse in its guidance. So I'll talk more about that later. The ECB as well, uh, so somewhat oddly pre-committing to a 50 basis point move in March, and I suspect that was to appease the hawks on the governing council, uh, and then making what seemed to be a sort of a pause as well, or hope to pause to assess the status of their policy mix. We saw Significantly lower uh, two-year rates in Germany, 18 basis points, 30 basis points on the 10-year, similar in the UK. And this uh, sort of feeding this general narrative and positive energy around, hooray, central banks are off the tightening bandwagon and looking to peak soon and could be easing. Things are going to be hunky-dory. Inflation is going to slow down. Apparently, whatever recession is coming is going to be so mild that it may not even be there, at least according to what we're seeing in some of the asset prices. But then, very interestingly, Peter, and as, as we've got a lot to go through today because it was a very interesting day yesterday, whiplash to a degree after the close as the three mega caps that were reporting yesterday, Alphabet, Amazon, and Apple, all in their own ways, um, sort of surprising on the negative side. So we had quite a, quite a turnaround uh, after hours here. But uh, I put up the NASDAQ 100 future because... That one was the most affected by you know, the weighting of Meta and, and its massive advance yesterday. The S&P a little bit more sedate in its uh, price action, but still quite a quite a day yesterday, to say the least. But uh, I'll let you take it from here on, on your impression of, of this, this the energy we're seeing in this market. Yeah, the energy level is high and the animal spirit, uh, <clears throat> spirits have been released. That was what we talked about yesterday. And it was very clear from... You know, Meta and their cost-cutting exercises uh, was really giving a lot of juice and, and energy into technology stocks, and it, it it carried through the entire session. I think it it increased the bets, and I suspect from retail investors going into the earnings releases of Apple, Amazon, and Google that came after the market, and then on top of you know maybe there was a slight fear in the market. Maybe you can correct me, John, but I, I was sort of there was a sense or a slight fear that that the ECB could could try to get ahead of the curve and do uh, seventy-five, and they did fifty. Overall, the mix was uh, very positive, and then we came into the uh, into the extended trading, and we got the results from Apple, Amazon, and Google. We'll talk a little bit more in detail about it, but the overall gist of it was that they all three disappointed they in different ways. Um, <clears throat> but the I think the common thread was that as you're seeing a slowdown uh, across their businesses, and that impacted the futures trading. We are. We really have halted the uh, the up, upward momentum here in, in equity futures. And I think the last time I checked before we went into the studio, we were down 0.8% in the S&P 500. So this melt-up scenario that we talked about yesterday in the podcast, where we said in the case that these three or maybe just two out of the three uh, did a very positive surprise, then I think the energy and the momentum would have been there to to really rally hard into the, into the weekend. But now it seems like people are second-guessing. I think the caveat here, John, being it might be that investors when we get further into the session, would look through uh, you know, the negative the negative sentiment from these three earnings and, and focus on the Chinese PMI that surprised on the upside, both on the composite and the 
services part for January, indicating also what Tim Cook talked about, uh, that you know things are bouncing back in China. All right. And we also have to look at what the actual impact was in the markets. I already alluded to it and, and discussed it on slide three from this Bank of England and uh, ECB meeting. So you can see there on, on slide three, the, the drop in the two-year rates, huge drop, 20-plus basis points for the UK and almost on the same scale for, for Germany on that ECB uh, pre-commit and then apparently wanting to pause to assess the uh, – I put that out there yesterday and, and I was saying to my colleagues a bit in strong language that I, th I thought that at least the relative hawkishness of the ECB and, and forward anticipation relative to the Fed was – was getting so stretched, I had a hard time imagining that the ECB could clear, uh, certainly put hawkish expectations even higher after yesterday's meeting. And so it was very easy for them to disappoint. And they, they certainly delivered on the disappointment side and very much failed to clear the bar in terms of the hawkish um, expectations built into the market. Similarly with the Bank of England, but sort of more clearly wanting to pause even now uh, after the 50 basis point move yesterday to take the policy rate to 4%. Uh, any further rate tightening it was had some very conditional language around it uh, versus the prior language that sort of just seemed to suggest an ongoing series of rate hikes ahead. And then the revisions there clearly pointing to a Bank of England that does not want to tighten policy anymore. It did sort of upgrade its, uh, uh, you know, there was rather dire forecasts on the economy. Uh, the peak to trough GDP forecast was at minus 2.9%. That was revised up to minus 1%. Unemployment only seen peaking at 5.3% versus um, – versus 6% prior, but sort of enhancing this whole soft landing uh, narrative, <laughs> they they lowered their inflation forecast. And this is, uh, I think this could be proved to be one of the greater embarrassments in central bank forecasting history. They put their, their CPI forecast for next year, so for 2024, all the way down to 1.5%. Uh, just an incredible uh, confidence that they they can sort of picture that, that or, or that they are so certain that their policy inputs We'll have the intended effect, and we'll get inflation, the inflation house in order, and and things will shape up now with even better economic outcomes. Yeah, my comment would be that I think that this is actually where, to some extent, the Fed has really gained, at least from in my view, regained some credibility because I think the the Powell's very openly critique of their operating models inside the Fed and other FMC members. I think the, I think the, I think the Fed has been extremely honest about that you know the economic models that in 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 the way they they work when you are above the long-term average the mean reversion kick in into the into the forecast of econometric models that's how they work and that's always that's why you always have these trajectories when you're above the 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 average that they will trend toward that mean over some time horizon based on the on the mean reversion process and and, and in the past and I think I think that what you what you just talked about, John, here is just uh, it's just it's just dumb. It's not really it's not really reflecting on the true nature of what's going on, and that you can't use models to the same degree as in the past. At least not when you are in this transition phase. Yeah, and I'll also put it out there: if I, I won't deny that it may be within the realm of possibility that UK inflation goes down to one point five percent in twenty twenty four, but if it does, there will be a crushing recession. Uh, and it won't be because of benign outcomes in the economy and an improving uh, outlook for the economy that inflation is able to collapse uh, to those kinds of levels. But let's have a look at the uh, rather whiplash-inducing effects in the FX market because we had just come, of course, off the day prior with the reaction to the FOMC, which was read as relatively dovish, the Fed not providing the kind of push pushback that was uh, somewhat feared. 
So the dollar goes from uh, you know from being absolutely thrown out the uh, with the bathwater to to suddenly uh, a revival and back to where it was prior to the FOMC at least in euro dollar terms. Uh, uh, cable actually breaking to new lows here out of that very tight range it had been in for about two weeks, and we see a very weak sterling uh, breaking lower versus the euro. So do note that euro sterling is into new territory here. Looks like a classic pattern reversal. Uh, the one thing that sits a little bit uncomfortably here for me is if we see if we continue to see a resumption or if we see a resumption of this risk squeeze back higher that generally does not co um, coincide or correlate with uh, dollar strength. So the bigger picture or the better potential for the dollar to make a more profound comeback would be something like uncomfortably strong U.S. data or sentiment rolling over because of these three mega caps and we get the squeeze reversing, et cetera. So that's that's an important one. But you also, I'm also noting the Norwegian Krona there suddenly taking over in the race to the bottom with a very ugly trending reading. We've got weak oil prices. Uh, and your first slide is not on oil, though. It's, it's on orange juice. Um, you're, I guess you have to put that in at least once a year just for um, for variety. Is that what we're seeing here? I love it. <laughs> yeah, just to just to uh, keep uh, just reminding people that uh, this commodity space is so broad and wide. Uh, we we tend to focus on on just a, on on a few, but there are obviously a lot of things going on, and they all have have their impacts. Um, but actually, just before going to that, John, just um, you mentioned uh, some of these uh, the others, and and this week uh, also at the the performance table earlier on uh, on stocks, we see the commodities are trailing this week, and uh, it's really just the the post COVID uh, reopening trade uh, related to China that's uh, just faded somewhat. Uh, I think the realization is that we saw we saw a strong build up in, in anticipation uh, ahead of uh, ahead of the lunar new year now the reality kicks in and uh, we just basically have to realize that this this recovery will come will happen but it will probably be at a slower pace than what the market has been pricing in so that's why we're seeing some of these markets coming down right now but returning to the agriculture space I put in this and called it the unbalanced breakfast because uh, again mm. it's it's a bit of a uh, it's a bit of an eye catcher because we we've seen this uh, significant surge this uh, this month so far this year in uh, orange juice, coffee, and and sugar, uh, all obviously parts of a of a of a, a normal breakfast. Even though I don't drink that much orange juice anymore, I don't even eat breakfast. But uh, that's uh, that's neither here nor exactly. there. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, but the orange juice, I think, is just the eye catching story that is basically that the, the the crop in Florida has slumped to the lowest since 1936. Hurricanes uh, within the last few years has damaged the crop, making it uh, taking delaying the uh, the process of rebuilding the uh, the the uh, well rebuilding replanting trees and so on. Then we've had frost, and basically weather has not been playing its part uh, as it as it normally should do. And we also have some I think some fungus uh, having an impact. So generally, to, together with um, production uh, difficulties, other places we're just seeing uh, orange juice basis surging to a to a record high. At the bottom, uh, we. Just alleviating some of these uh, these price rises, we got the the wheat price, which is which is still continuing to uh, be on the defensive because of ample supplies coming out of uh, the Black Sea, especially from Russia. And then, obviously, if you do like your bacon, then um, and in the U.S., then uh, that has come down quite a bit as well. I'm not quite sure whether that that also translates to lower prices in Europe, but at least that's uh, that's the count. That's uh, pulling price in the other direction. But it looks like on your following chart there on the metals, uh, quite interesting. So as you indicate on the copper, it's rolling over a bit. Maybe some second thoughts about the the strength of this incoming impulse from China uh, is what Dr. Copper is telling us there. Whereas yesterday was all about uh, what should have been, I would have guessed, with more dovish central banks, I, I would have thought the, the gold price would have gotten some support. I think that's a very interesting technical signal as well with that big engulfing uh, bearish, uh, bearish candlestick there. 
Yeah, we've seen some uh, some rocky moves in in gold this weekend, and it, it does potentially signal that we are in the in building uh, some kind of a top formation at least in the short term, and um, and that's and we see that uh, yesterday as well with the uh, almost hitting uh, key resistance uh, or the next level of resistance in the 1963 area, only to be pulled back sharply as the dollar starts to strengthen. Follow those uh, central banks meetings that you, you just thought, just mentioned, John. So. Um, once again, we haven't uh, closed below the 21-day moving average since early November, and that's coming in around 1914 today. So, uh, so close below that today could potentially signal that correction, which uh, I think is almost unavoidable. Un- unavoidable, considering we 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 travelled so far and so fast. Copper, as you say, is rolling over uh, again. Uh, we we believe the long-term uh, story for copper, but again, there's just a little bit of reality check now with the with the expected pickup in, in China. And I think it's also just uh, quite healthy just to see the market consolidate and potentially just trade back down towards that $4, maybe even down to the 395 area, uh, just to uh, look for the next level of support. Yeah, compelling technicals, if you ask me on that, that spot gold chart. Very interesting there. All right, Peter, we need to get to these three mega caps reporting after the close yesterday. How did they disappoint in, in their own individual ways here? Well, if we start with Apple, they, they missed on revenue and earnings, and it was really driven by the iPhone sales, which uh, were you know, disappointing and, and lower than expected quite significantly. I think it was a 4% miss. That's uh, quite a bit for Apple. And then Tim Cook, the CEO, he said on the conference call that you know the, the business would have looked better and have been would have been grown uh, compared to a year ago if it hadn't been for the supply chains. If they had operated normally, and right now, as we all know, it's been in the headlines, Apple is trying to transition or move away a lot of their manufacturing of iPhones, etc., other physical products to India from China. And I guess that is, in the short term, causing a little bit of uh, pain. And then China also, in that previous quarter, that was uh, the Q4 of the calendar year of 2022, was mirrored in, 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 in a lot of uncertainty around you know the zero-COVID strict policies in China and then the reopening. It was a, a little bit of a mess there. Um, and then I also want to highlight Apple. They crossed the $2 billion active devices on their installed base it's an enormous uh, ecosystem apple ha- has created and it's it's difficult to see you know a very very negative case for apple i would say i mean i, I don't think there's a lot of the numbers that are suggesting that they could fall out of the bed um they there might be a weak iphone market uh, the older this year because of the you know the decline we have seen in consumer uh, sorry in discretionary spending because of the inflation but I don't. But I think a lot of their other services and what they sell on the actual ecosystem, the daily consumption of apps and music and you know videos, etc. I think will do quite well. So I'm not. I'm not that terribly uh, uh, afraid here. And then Alphabet, they missed in their ads business, uh, especially in their YouTube business. It was quite weak. Not a big surprise. They they have seen some. Uh, we have seen declines as well from from Snap and Meta. I think Meta overall. Uh, did better, uh, both on the cost exercise, but also in some of the demand profiles and engagement compared to to Alphabet and, and Snap. But um, that's my take, at least. And then the CEO, uh, Pichar, oh, is that? Okay, John, you, you just, I don't want to. Uh, uh, I haven't heard it pronounced, so I don't know. No, okay. I will have to go back and be uh, be better on this. But the, the Google, we can call it Alphabet CEO or Google CEO. He said that they're going to launch very, very soon a competitor to ChatGPT, and it has been internally at Google called a code red because they they acknowledge the technology. I think it's very clunky and dumb in, in many regards, but um, it's still a potential threat and any potential threat you need to uh, need to address. That's the lesson Silicon Valley learned 
from anti grow from until you know new uh, only the paranoid uh, survive so deepmind which is the ai unit of alphabet is working around the clock to get their version out and the enhancement as i wrote in my, one of my game changes equity notes earlier this week which you can find on analysis.saxo is that they will unlike uh, uh, chat gpt right now they will provide source links to that 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 backed up the answer i think that's a that's a huge uh, add on so you don't just getting blind uh, blind uh, answers in the in the chat amazon they actually beat in the holiday quarter both on operating income and earnings but when you look at the q1 outlook they still have a 4 billion dollar range so from 0 to 4 billion dollars in operating income in a single quarter it just tells you that they don't have very great visibility on where their business is and they're not controlling cost very well, et cetera, and the demand profile. There were weakness in their cloud business. Um, this is, this demand is slowing down. That's also what we saw from Microsoft and Google, and that decline will continue. And you uh, you want to say something? No, it isn't, isn't the AWS the uh, cloud business. That's their that's their big profit engine, is it not? That's the big uh, that's the big profit engine. And, and, and then so we talked about the other day, you know, UBS indicating that Amazon might be uh, losing some relative market share in the global logistics market as well. I think very interesting points coming out of Amazon. All right. We have a very heavy earnings calendar continuing into next week. Uh, the podcast getting on a little bit here. Is there anything you want to pluck out as uh, something that's like a really a big focus for, for markets? Uh, both today, there are a few names today I see as well, uh, but uh, also next week. Today, I would I would highlight uh, Intesa San Paolo, which is one of the big banks in, in Italy. Italy is the weakest uh, link, I think, in European credit markets. Um, so loan provisions and, and loan growth there would be of interest to me. And then next week, we have a lot of different earnings. I think we should talk about it on Monday uh, because it's it's quite a, a quite a big list. But just to mention one name, I mean, I think Siemens is important on Thursday and then Walt Disney on Wednesday as well. And then... Uh, Tuesday, we have BP, Nintendo in Japan, and, and Enphase on, on renewables. I, I would rather just spend 20 seconds, if I may, on the little chart insert I, I, I put in there on uh, on slide 8. It shows you the quarterly earnings growth in dollars since the Q3 2019. So here you have the full evolution during the pandemic and in the post-rebound. And what have, what have happened in the Q4 is that the dark blue bar there, which is the, the European earnings have now surpassed that of S&P 500. I just wanted to provide it there because it shows you the, I think, the tailwind for the physical economy because I think very simplified, you could say the the physical versus the online economy is basically Europe versus US. And you're seeing that improved performance for European equities. And I think it's backed up by the uh, the earnings growth that we are seeing in NASDAQ sort of stabilizing their their earnings growth. But I think most people would find it interesting that Europe has uh, has grown its earnings as much as NASDAQ 100 now over a, a three-year period. And then look at China, the, the green one. I will just reiterate, I know a lot of clients and you know people talk about China. I don't think China is very interesting. I think the pol- uh, the politics and the, and the growth setup in China and the corporate governance around their companies don't make it interesting. As I, I will repeat it here and then I'll end my spiel, John. I think China, if you want to have exposure to China's economy, it should be done in an indirect way via currencies from from Sweden or Australia. You can you can you know if you get access, if you if you buy shares in Apple, you get a little bit of exposure to China as well. I think that's the best way to do it. All right, interesting stuff. Uh, interesting also for Europe on the energy input side, whether they can control those costs if they're operating the physical world and supposed to be reaping uh, the benefits of uh, having more tangible. Uh, focus among their company mix than, than elsewhere, especially the U.S. All right, today is an important day because I think it could be a day that challenges the narrative 
uh, of what we just saw this week was the three large central bank meetings and the sort of the dovish spin we got on the back of all three of those. Whether the data cooperates, uh, A, if it's uh, sort of inline and boring, then the market's going to do what it's going to do in terms of animal spirits. It doesn't uh, sort of disturb what uh, the reaction function was. If it's exceptionally weak, does uh, the market start to read concerns uh, or put in concerns of a recession that's a bit nefarious, like a typical recession, uh, confirming the inverted yield curves uh, and uh, mounting concerns on the profit cycle? Or if it's significantly stronger than expected, I think far more interesting because it would really go uh, sort of run, you know, run against what we just saw developing this week. And that would come in the form of uh, stronger uh, payrolls change today. Uh, we did see a weak ADP private payrolls change today, or this week, sorry, uh, a stronger average hourly earnings. These are expected to decelerate once again, and, and this average hourly earnings series is a bit troublesome, does not fit with a lot of other wage data that suggests a continued strong wage growth. Uh, and then especially that ISM services, uh, if it continues to show contraction in the services sector or whether last month's print was uh, a bit of an outlier, and we see significant mean reversion. So interesting uh, sort of flourish to end the week with this uh, data test on the reaction to uh, these central bank meetings this week. And then we head into next week where we've got a lot of Fed speakers, so there could be some challenge uh, already on Tuesday and Wednesday. Tuesday, Fed Chair Powell, uh, and a whole number of voters uh, speaking on Wednesday. Do they disagree with the market's uh, expectations and reaction to the FOMC meeting last week? We have the Australian RBA up uh, hiking rates, 25 basis points, uh, the market expects. And remember, the RBA, after that 25 basis points, would only be at a 3.35% uh, rate. If they pause the following month, uh, you're almost getting ECB rate parity with Australia. This is a very different era for central bank policy than it was 10 years ago, uh, that is for sure. And Sweden as well. They're expected to hike uh, to 3% on Thursday. Other little bits and pieces you can see there on the macro calendar on slide 9. But it's been a, a crazy week here, and I'm not, not sure that the craziness is set to halt today by any means. Let's see how we finish the week. Stay careful out there, and we'll be back on Monday with the next Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com. <laughs>